whatever you want. Are you being acting at the moment then? Single last time. I do a lot of cor- I do a lot of corporate stuff, and it's uh, soulless but very well paid. Well, that's all right then, isn't it? Is that are you the one that kind of yeah. are you the one that goes that kind of goes and make sure you fill in form three A as well as form three B kind of thing? Yeah, I do all that shit. Wow, yeah. that's all right. That's all right. Although there's some dickhead, there's some dickhead doing the get ready for Brexit, and like fucking, you could you could fucking wave, you could wave fucking a suitcase full of fifty quid notes in front of me, and I wouldn't do that shit. And the the, the toe, get ready for Brexit, as if it's some sort of fucking carnival. This is going in the show, right? Yes. Strap on, strap on your feed bag for the endless gruel you're going to be eat when you get ready for Brexit. Do you like testicles? Well, you can sell them on the street corner for crack, just to take your mind off Brexit. I'd like to point out that the following episode of We're Not Wizards may contain slightly bits of sweariness, but that's because it's, it's We're Not Wizards After Dark. It's probably even we're not, we're not we're not necromancers, and um, have you been bit? We're not sexy dildo <laughs> wizards. Because joining me tonight, he's like he's not even slightly perturbed, he's not even slightly angry, he's just a little bit mad because it's Ben Maddox, and I bet he's never been called that before. I bet you that's a revelation. No, it's a new thing. Well, actually, when I was a kid, hmm. my nickname was Ben Maggots. <laughs> They thought that was very amusing to call me Ben Maggots. I have no idea why that would even be. Kids are so cruel and awful. Do you know what I mean? I think sometimes that present terms should be substituted for people to just spend a couple of years back in high school just doing the same thing again and again and again. I think all of this, all of this, all of this adoration of childhood, all of this. Oh, aren't they so beautiful and so cute? No, they're not. They're vicious and mean and nasty and they're physically violent and mentally violent children are vile and they're dirty and they stink and they say things honestly you should never be honest to people i hate everyone but i tell them they're all right (laughs) it's good to see that you're in this kind of wonderfully relaxed and non-pent-up kind of um, mood which is always is always kind of fantastic. How was S and Dear? Well, I, I, I'm 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 super excited because I've been getting ready for Brexit. <laughs> it's cancelled. You're not understood. And the next thing we're going to do is we're going to be allowing 16 and 17 year olds to vote. And then the other amendment that's going to come through is we're going to allow EU um, nationals to vote as well, which means potentially they might kick out the election altogether and we'll be back to zero again. You know. It's it's a wonderful world. So so did you ask me something board game related? I tried to ask you something board game related, but at the moment what does it matter? Sorry, my mind my mind is completely befuddled because I've just been getting ready for Brexit. Come down to the carnival. You can eat potatoes. That's all we've got because of Brexit. Are you see being based in where you are in Germany? Hmm. Are you witnessing a kind of an attitude? Are people just like, oh, for goodness sake, will you do something? Is it like kind of like the point where you've got somebody who, you know, they're, they're, they're standing in a shop and they can't decide if they want the blue top and the pink top and it's got to the point where everybody in the high street is gathered around them and just going, for goodness sake, will you just decide so that everybody can go home because we're absolutely sick to death of your crap, basically. 
Well, the thing is, they're sharing a lot of Facebook memes and all of yeah. this, and there's the cat one, where the cat doesn't know whether it wants to leave the house or come back into yeah. the house. But actually, the, the what I'm noticing is the tone among people who aren't concerned by it. So, you know, I haven't known my legal status for three years, basically. I haven't known what hoops I'm going to have to jump through to not go back. And it, for me, it's been an absolute nightmare just endless endless stress and complete worry and everyone said oh you're gonna be fine and it's like yeah but you have a german bloody passport but what what the big thing is is because because it obviously is it's everyone is acting like it's this great big lark and it's a wonderful telenovela that's playing out and it's you know this tragedy comedy with these two you know, inept idiots who both want the same thing but can't say that they do. And everyone's sending me messages, you know, with emojis and all of this. And I'm like, I haven't slept for three years because I don't know whether I'm going to get deported. And I kind of find it a little bit irking that everyone finds... And and I, I guess everyone's like this, right? I find it a little bit irking that an actual genuine thing that could actually negatively affect me quite dramatically that the rest of people are seeing as... Uh, you know, this this funny comedy playing out. But I guess I would be the same, and I am the same when I think about America. So I haven't got a leg to stand on, really. But, you know, people send me messages. My heart rate increases. I check The Guardian. My heart rate increases, any, you know, even more than I drink and than I sleep, you know. Getting ready for Brexit. I don't know. They just keep doing the figure thing and the money thing. And then there's there's no discussion about it and it just seems to be division there's no bringing people back together into the fold and just saying well let's sit down and have a conversation because we're not well you know no one no one no one has mentioned and and sort of no one mentioned during the campaign this is great board board game content by the way um no one mentioned during the campaign the moral aspect to the eu and how the eu has essentially saved you know western europe from descending into conflict and how there is this idea of you know fraternity and this idea of looking after each other and this this notion that together we can be stronger not just financially not just politically but as a sort of moral beacon of what can be made possible when people just say borders aren't that important nationality isn't that important language isn't that important we can just agree and is it a big bureaucracy is it hefty and unwieldy of course i mean it's 27 bloody countries isn't it trying to get things done but the the EU is the single greatest achievement of the 20th century and it's being rode roughshod over by a load of people who want to save some money on tax. And what that means is, you know, is stirring up hatred. Racism is rife on the streets and on the football terraces and people are stressed. And I can guarantee Brexit has killed lots of people through stress, you know, and it's just so cynical and horrendous. And the Prime Minister is the worst of the lot and the the worst thing is, is in December, he's going to be voted in with a huge majority. And then he's going to push through his potty Brexit plan. And Britain is going to be thrown back into the dark ages. And it's all rather unseemly, Richard. It's <clears throat> it's a huge concern. And the, the huge concern is quite simply because I'm looking at looking at my kids and I'm going... What am I doing about this? And I seem to be doing absolutely nothing at all except talking about it 
I'm potentially tweeting about it and writing big Facebook grants before I delete those Facebook grants. And I'm just wondering, well, what am I actually physically doing? Because my interpretation of this is this is a this is an undemocratic thing that is happening to us. And yet, as normal with all these undem the people that are controlling the undemocratic thing, what they're in fact doing is they're then telling everybody that the best way forward is to use democracy in order to turn everything back and make it better again, which is it just baffles me. It just baffles me why why the, the Tories in themselves are going, this has done horrible things for our party. We're pushing ourselves where people are saying that we should be standing alongside the Brexit party. Now, they've always been veering on the right wing. They've always kind of been there, but they've never kind of honestly embraced it. And I would have thought the Tories would have just went, right, just get rid of them. We need to get this back into the back into the centre but no there seems to be this kind of constant manipulation of let's continue to make things kind of divisive and and dangerous for people and and and, and dangerous for my kids and it's like and we talk about this in <clears throat> the office we're all kind of over the age of 40 in the office so I mean it's all guys so it's a it's a rampant bed of of ranting that kind of goes on on a regular basis. In fact, it's almost like 1984 and, you know, quarter past nine in the morning, we have two minutes of ranting and we just all stand up and just start screaming at the ceiling above us. It's really quite wonderful and beautiful if kind of lack, lacking in any kind of in kind of eloquence. And the main thing that comes out of it is I'm kind of not caring about me. I'm really kind of worried about what's going to happen to the generation's that come after us as they scream at us, what the fuck were you doing about this? You were clearly doing absolutely nothing at all and allowed this horrific joke of a man with sinister plans to help his rich friends kind of avoid regulations in order to kind of, and then make an entire couple of generations suffer, which is crazy to me. Yeah. It's, 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 it's absolutely cynical. It's absolutely craven. And it is just, you know, and feeding on this sense of superiority. So, I, I mean, I, I discuss this all the time with people. I think the, I think the British royal family is deeply, deeply corrosive and dangerous and negative, a negative thing for our society because it gives Britain this feeling of exceptionalism. And having a feeling of exceptionalism within a country is very, very dangerous. If you look at the if you look at the sort of economic powerhouse of the last 50 years in Europe, it's Germany, and that's based upon an idea that you can work together, that you subsume this idea of natural uniqueness. We don't live in the Victorian age anymore, where you can generate wealth for your homeland by going somewhere and just stealing other people's stuff. Mm. And, you know... Britain needs Britain needs a complete culture shift. It needs a republic. It needs the Conservative Party to be reformed and needs to kick out the 1922 committee. People like Rhys Mogg shouldn't be fucking allowed anywhere near our legislation. Old dinosaurs like Jeremy Corbyn, who is frankly, for some reason, inexplicably anti-racist and I mean anti-Europe and thinks that you know thinks that the country can be saved by bringing back British Leyland is, you know, absolutely not conducive. The man is 30 years out of date. The Lib Dems are making a moral stand, but then again, they can because they're not going to bloody win anything, are they? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's easy to it's easy to be moral when you've got literally nothing at stake, right? Well, yeah. 
and then it, I don't know the Lim Debs kind of like help vote in so many horrific toxic policies. See, the thing is, if I'm being perfectly honest, when they voted to leave Europe, I accepted it. I was like, okay, well, this is it. Now we have to get on with it. And a lot of people, I know, it, it was it was an opinion poll, though. I mean, this is the point. You, you saw it today. They wanted to vote through a general election. And, you know, this is a fairly important thing, but it's absolutely nothing compared to the size of leaving in the EU. Yet they needed a two-thirds majority to get it through, which they didn't get. Oh, but something as important as running the country off a cliff, we can do that on a 50-50 decision. I mean, it's absolutely insane. But my thing was that I wouldn't have minded us leaving if it had been organised and if it had been planned. And it appears that we did everything backwards. Because I know for, I I do know people who are kind of like well, they see the EU as like you know it's corrupt and it loses money and they were glad when kind of the vote came through and they're it's almost like everybody is now in the middle and you're pushing people to the point where they're kind of like can we just get on with it please can we just get I it don't understand finished? that logic I I don't understand the logic of can we just get on with it. Can you just can you just get round to the bit where you pin me to the floor and repeatedly kick me in yes. the nuts, please? It makes absolutely no bloody sense. No one wants the worst thing to happen. Can we get on with the worst possible thing? Bollocks. No, we need to go back. We need to take this back to the public. If the idiots vote for it a second time, well, then I guess that's where we're stuck. But they lied and they committed countless crimes in this campaign. It needs to be done again. It was moronic. I just, I have no words. I get tired. I'm worried. And I'm, you know, as I say, as a parent, I'm kind of worried what's going I'm going to kind of worry that my children are going to go to the NHS to kind of get a broken finger reset or something. And they're going to have to reach for their credit card before they even get seen kind of thing. And that we're talking about insurance nowadays and we're talking about kind of like the price of drugs and my concern with them going oh yeah let's kind of bring in private healthcare into the UK is the fact that unlike America where you don't pay your taxes until that point in the year and then you're allowed to take deductibles and everything off is that we'll still all be paying kind of national insurance we'll still all be paying tax and at the same time then we'll also have to all find an extra £100 a month to pay for our medical things as well because they'll insist on taking taken after us. As far as I'm concerned, they've gone after the most vulnerable in society. And the next level is the middle class. <laughs> well isn't isn't this always isn't this always a way with the Tories? If you look if you look when the Tories are in power, violence on the street shoots through the roof. Racial hatred shoots through the roof. The Tories I mean the Tories want it's not this sort of clandestine thing. It's very clear. The Tories want you to work until 50 and snuff mm. it. They want, they want you to work and to enrich them. And when it's possible that you might start getting some recompense from society for all the work, they want you to snuff it through stress and, and through this feeling of obsolescence and they can swan around being rich. I mean, Boris Johnson has never had a day's stress in his bloody life, you know. Anyway, should we, should we move, should we move off this topic? Yes, let's do this. Because I think, I think it's almost like a, it's like a, a cleansing getting all the poison out of you. You know, and I'd like to say we apologize for our little rants. I don't apologize. But I don't see the point. I mean, you know, this is an, this is an opinion kind of thing. And that's kind of it. Um, I have always kind of wanted to go Essen. I kind of like, you know, yeah. 
and you went to Essen. And then there's things that scare me about Essen that people say that it is completely... It's more like a commercial floor. I've been to a few trade shows in the past and it is basically people kind of touting their wares to whoever goes past, whether that be kind of like a a distributor or a seller or something like that. And I've always been given the impression that Essen is very much like that, that this is the point of, this is like the huge marketplace where people have their stalls out and people who are interested in buying go about and select their wares for kind of like next season's kind of catalogue kind of thing with the amount of well, games that's a, kind of going. That's absolutely what it... That's absolutely what it is, of course. But the, the thing is, there's a fundamental difference, right? You go to a home appliances expo, what are you going to do? Cook fried eggs on every cooker? Mm. No, you're not. No. I mean, you're going to look at it and go, oh, that's nice. Whereas, I mean, the thing about Essen is it is a big supermarket, essentially. But you can go and you can play the games. And you can play the games months before people... <coughs> get them in shops there is that feeling of exclusivity so it, it it's kind of it is a fair it is about selling but at the same time they don't there's none of this oh you get to play one round of the game and that's it you can sit down and play the entire hmm. game so you can actually game it's just there's no sort of open gaming it's no bringing your own game sort of thing but i never play games at essence so it's never a consideration for me when you're um when you're going there i mean are you quite close to Essen yourself, kind of where you're based, or is it a fair? Is it is it, are you just are you kind of having to do like a cross country travel in order to kind of get there? It's about four and a half hours, basically. So it's not it's it's, it's not, not taxing bad. at all. It's fine. Yeah, yeah, but do you then stay overnight somewhere, or do you do you go for a couple of days? Yeah, and- we have a flat. Oh, yeah, a few good. of us go down from Berlin from the Wednesday to the Sunday and we hire a flat and we split it between us. It's all very convenient. Although this is the last year of the flat, so what we're going to do next year, I've absolutely no idea. Oh, was it like a kind of private rental or something like that then? Yeah, that's right. And she's giving it to her daughter or something. Oh, okay. That's I mean, I suggest it's kind of a strongly worded um, letter or maybe a taped MP3. I mean, you could... You have the recording equipment yeah. to send or something. I suggest you. I can, do have the recording equipment. You kind of put yeah. something down in writing, ex- express your deep dissatisfaction with them, kind of potentially kind of ruining your plans. Is it kind of? Do you see <laughs> when you see people coming over from the UK and things like that? Do you get that kind of here's the tourist kind of protectionism type thing? Do you kind of see these British people coming over and you're like, ah, oh, you're just. Why do you have to do that? Why do you have to act like that? Are you kind of like, oh, my my friends are here, my brothers are here. This is fantastic. It's good to find to have some British thing. Do you have any English food I can steal off you, kind of thing, or is it, you know, because you've been in Germany for a little while now? Well, it, it, it's you know, there are certain demographics demographics of society that are incredibly leery. Board gamers aren't hmm. particularly. Yeah. Um, I mean, the thing is, the thing is about the last, since I've been going to Essen, I think my first Essen was 2012. And the it's this weird thing that modern society has thrown up that you feel like you know people and you've never been anywhere near them in physical proximity, mm. you know. So it's that wonderful thing of chatting, especially when you, you know, you do a podcast or whatever. You, you get to speak to a lot of people and... Then you go to somewhere like Essen, which is, you know, a hub for everyone from around the world. And you actually get to meet these people in person. And it's absolutely, 
it's brilliant and and really i've i've really found that this sort of twitter introdu- introduction and talking to people over social media lifts all of that sort of initial awkwardness really and it's you know it's just like meeting old friends even though you've never met before and then of course there's there's loads of people i know there's tony there's uli there's gil yeah. michael fox and you know rory and and, and and all of these people and the Secret Cabal once said that Origins was like, you know, adult summer camp. And that's what Essen feels like to me. Essen feels like it's kind of, it's sort of film festival in the sense that, you know, for me, it doesn't really start until the convention hall shuts down. And then there's various locations around the town that you sort of hop around and speak to all the different people. And, you know, being press is great because I went to the Dodger Spiel Prize ceremony and got to witness that yeah. and all of that sort of stuff. So it is this big... Yeah, it's this big sort of jamboree of seeing people that you see once a year. It's, it's a wonderful thing. Is it a strange kind of... Is there kind of like a media presence? Is there kind of like, you know, the, they talk about kind of like cans and there's like the press pack. I mean, are they recognising that there's kind of like media people going to be kicking about and they have like special areas for media and they have special well, areas for media to talk to each other? In? Well, they were really, they were really shitty a few years yeah. ago. Um, to get a press accreditation, you had to be attached to a newspaper, essentially, and to have a, an official German press ID. And they completely ignored YouTube and all of this. And because I guess the German reporting of board games was quite sort of mainstream and in newspapers, right? But like a couple of years ago, someone, someone obviously must have tapped them on the shoulder and said, hey, you do know this YouTube thing? Is in the English speaking world, that's the only sort of media for board games. And so they, they started first, their first step was to kind of give press passes to sort of all the YouTube channels, all the podcasts. So you had a lot of people reporting from there. And, and this year, so Asthma Day for the last couple of years, I've had a media area and they get a couple of presenters and they're obviously, I assume they're not gamers. I assume they're presenters that they pay, you know, yeah. money to. I mean, why they, well, I mean, I've got a face for radio, so it's no surprise that I, they haven't hired me. But, um, you know, so they have a bit and they sort of live stream and they have big screens that you can see. And as far as I can see, no one's watching it, but still. And then, and then Spiel themselves this year did a live stream. It was all very professional and they had, you know, Tom Vassell had a section and there was German sections and Ella from Ella Loves Board yeah, Games yeah. had a section and they didn't ask me and, you know, they can go fuck themselves. <laughs> and um, as I said, I've got a face I'm radio. just getting so, some yeah. for that bit of lemon. <laughs> <laughs> but um yeah i mean it's really they've they've started to realize that the internet is a really important thing and media and and the thing about board games and we bemoan it but i think it's quite a nice sort of thing in that the media around board games is still primarily done by hobbyists and it's not sort of cynical media people by and large talking about things they don't know you know and and that's nice and they've realized this and the sooner they get on to the fact that you know they should put me on there and i'll promise to spice things up with swear words 
the better. I would just think that would be. I would. <laughs> I'll just imagine you going something like, "Hello, cunts," <laughs> just as <laughs> just as your opening, and you'd be famous. And so, then it'd be a unit so of time. There'd be a unit of time called like the Maddox Minute, which is the length of time <laughs> that somebody was on stage at a board game event in a professional capacity to the time he was hastily removed by the event staff <laughs> when he went f- I kind of want to be I kind of want to be the Ollie Reed or George Best <laughs> the- of the of the Mertz Verlag Twitch channel just coming on and just going alright so this and this and I may have had a drink can I say tits on the stream? Perfect. Come on, let me say tits. Perfectly lucid. Do you know what I mean? The mind, <laughs> the mind is shite. And then just fall, fall, fall over in his face and just say, <laughs> and then just you raise your arm and you're flipping the bird going, Twitch stream that, you bastard. You fucking cunts. <laughs> Yeah, but it's it, I mean it's it's super interesting because you do see sort of people. I'm because of the nature of my show, it's kind of not necessary that I that I do any content really. I mean essentially I'm going there to sort of queue up people to do interviews on my show, you know, but I do do a show from this and I I'm I released the Patreon one today and I'm editing the the proper one for public consumption. And you know, it's it, it's interesting. It, it's interesting because, you know, I like to have a theme when I go to Essen, and sort of like to ask people something pertinent. And so, I my big thing this year was asking the great and good about the Kickstarter <laughs> union thing, and seeing what they thought. And you know, it, it's really interesting because it. I, I th- sort of found my thoughts on that kind of evolving. Because I don't really back Kickstarters. So me boycotting Kickstarters is a super bloody easy victory, right? <laughs> exactly. But um, You get a t-shirt print. That's it. You get a t-shirt print. Yeah. One for the workers, right? You know, and I, I want to, I want to take, I want to take all the easy victories I can. But, you know, it's super interesting speaking to the luminaries of the business, publishers and designers. And seeing their views on it. And mostly people were pretty nuanced, I thought, which was interesting. I think it's a difficult one because I think people kind of... There's so many people that rely on the Kickstarter industry. There's so many places which are kind of of responsible for not being 100% nice things. That, and yet for people to kind of dis- disassociate themselves would effectively, for some of them, kind of kill their business. You know, if people turn around and says, I'm not going to bother with Facebook because Mark Zuckerberg is the worst, then they go, all right, well, I've cancelled my Facebook page, but it's also cancelled my group with 19,000 members. So there goes my, right. you know, there goes my advertising kind of revenue. And the same with Kickstarter. I've seen a lot of people. It's kind of funny because I've seen a lot of people <clears throat> kind of, almost quote the words of the the kind of the the movement by going they're still insisting that nobody kind of boycotts kickstarter and i'm sometimes wondering is that because if people did start boycotting kickstarter there's going to be a lot of people that are going to go ah bugger i was making i was making fifteen hundred dollars from that shit you know (laughs) it's so difficult isn't it i mean there were people who sort of threw their dummies out the pram about Patreon. 
And I kind of didn't see it. I mean, just because you, I mean, it, it was just so I speak to someone about this and they were sort of saying, well, Patreon should be a portal for free speech. I'm not entirely sure that that's the case. And, and, and what, what annoyed me about the whole Patreon thing was that, okay, I can, I utterly can understand people's stances. You know, there's the worry for creators. There's the worry that if, you know, you say something that disagrees with the politics of Patreon, then your income will be cut off. And I don't think that's fair at all. But it was just a, a shame that a, a moronic douchebag like Sargon of Akkad was the one that kicked it off, you know, because he's an utter, utter no-mark idiot. And it, it's such a shame that people I like and respect and whose view and stance that I utterly respect too had to sort of nail their colors to the mask for that knobhead. But the, the the problem is with the problem is with Kickstarter is and I found myself sort of wrestling with this when I was speaking to people is that not backing kickstarters you're ruining people's dreams, you know. And what Kickstarter has enabled in the board game world, I mean, an awful lot of shite, but then again, there's an awful lot of shite everywhere. It's enabled people like, I, I was speaking a lot to Frank West over the Oh weekend. yeah, Frank, yeah. And, you know, with, and, and Frank's an absolute fucking genius and he's got his shit completely yeah. locked together. Yeah, I mean, he's really, he's, I mean, he's really done an incredible job in a short time he's been around. And, but without Kickstarter, what would he have done? You know, nothing probably. You know, those games would have been lost to the world. So it is a tricky one. I just wish the CEO of Kickstarter wasn't such a dickhead. But the point is, I was speaking to Stephen Bonacor, and I guess he knows more about business than me. And he said, look, the fact is, if they really want unionization, the company can press pressure them as much as they want. It's their legal right. So they have to go through the legal... Uh, they have to jump the legal hurdles to do so, but they can if they want. So, you know, it's just, they need, the thing is, and they need to now, because the CEO has essentially said, I'm planning to fuck you later on, you know. Yeah, I mean, it's just, I don't know. I, I kind of, it's, it's just another one of these kind of, there seems to be a lot of companies that kind of don't do anything for the stuff that they actually do. And then when something crops up that becomes serious, they all kind of take, they still try to have this Pontius pilot view of kind of washing their hands of an entire situation. It's like you mentioned Patreon. Patreon doesn't actually do anything except allow a kind of a portal kind of thing for people to pass money from as a sign of appreciation to other people. Kickstarter is the same. Kickstarter is just a platform. I mean, you know, Kickstarter is a is a kind of a strange thing to me because I become more and more embroiled as it is the number of people that come on the show have always been backed by Kickstarter. And I'd Frank, you know, I've had so many people that you know, like you said, Frank West, who's, you know, probably had at least half a million pounds I think probably through Kickstarter now, who would, as you said, would not be there. And there's so many other people who have started their kind of their board game career, like your Alley Cat Games of this world, who've gone on to become a right. publisher of other people. And yet Kickstarter itself refuses to accept responsibility for the kind of the nursery management of its platform, as in it still allows kind of like, um, I guessed it on the Giant Brain podcast and it came out this week and one of the one of the news right. items we talked about was somebody who went onto the game crafter website ripped images and the basically the ip of somebody else's game that was available on the game crafter and put it up on kickstarter and claimed it was their own and didn't do it just once but they did it twice 
in Kickstarter, it wasn't until people raised it with Kickstarter that Kickstarter kind of turned around and went, oh yeah, we better kind of take this down. And this kind of wanting to collect people's money but doing very, very little in order to shepherd people doesn't make any sense to me that there seems to be... I, there's there's just, there's a lot of... It's kind of like, well, we're just here as a platform. It's like Facebook and allowing fucking horrible lies on its platform and then you know well you know. Well, well facebook is utterly disingenuous in this right facebook is lying yeah um twitter is twitter is lying yeah. you know twitter is lying that it's neutral bollocks twitter was on its ass before donald trump suddenly became hugely popular on the platform oh, yeah. and it profits greatly from just having that there you know tony boydell called donald trump a cunt and was banned for life donald trump basically on Twitter condemns 2,000 fucking Kurds to die and nothing is done. So obviously there's hypocrisy. I mean, the, the point with Kickstarter, what Kickstarter does, it, it is essentially a a middleman, a, a broker, yeah. but it does it very well and it offers a forum and it offers a platform and it offers a sense of community and a sense of shared expectation in the way that Patreon does. I mean, today I released, you know, my Patreon-exclusive Essen episode for just $5 a month. You can listen to it. It's where I interview everybody. And, you know, I couldn't have done that. No. So I only I only release it to a certain tier. I couldn't have done that with what Patreon... Without the things that Patreon offer to exactly. Me, right? So, you know, I mean, yes, they are essentially brokerage houses, but they do offer things that help facilitate you as a business. And I, I think by and large, they're good. The problem is, is they're private companies, right? So they kind of get to do what they bloody want. And they kind of get to have a political stance that they want. But when your primary sort of forum now is the internet and is things like Patreon and YouTube and Facebook, there is a concern that, you know, an overt exertion of political pressure from one side or the other will end up basically having, you know, a, a biased discourse. And I, I think in many ways, I think in many ways, discourse is being biased. And, you know, there's a lot of people who do it. There's a lot of uh, people have become very censorious recently. I, I saw a post the other day in which someone said, oh, can you believe this? Can you believe this post, this response someone wrote? I should seriously think about... And oh, it was something, have you seen this post, this response this person made? And I looked on my Facebook and realised this person had 28 mutual friends of mine. Yeah. You should really think about who you're friends with on Facebook. And I'm like, that is the that is the rhetoric of the police state, right? You know, that you are you are dirty by association. I mean, it's abs- I mean, it just shows that people are... Fucking grasses, right? I, I don't know. I see it a lot, and I kind of question. I mean, it's like uh, if somebody said to me, "Oh, you got to, you got to be careful about that person because I know that they have known to kind of talk about people behind their back. I know they're 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 fairly nasty kind of thing." It's like, okay, thanks for that information. You know, I think kind of serving that information and then suggesting to people that they should be automatically unfriending somebody because and making that decision over somebody. I mean, I've got I mean, I've got like thousands of people that follow me on Twitter. And there are people on Twitter that kind of I follow back. And there's certain people I would even say I follow on Twitter because 
I like to, I kind of am always interested to see what they're saying. Does that mean that by following somebody on social media, I share the beliefs and thoughts of that person? That's kind of like the biggest leap I've ever seen. And I continue to see it amongst the kind of the people that want almost like an echo chamber for themselves that don't want kind of other thoughts brought in just in case they kind of question the nice little kind of platform that they've got and developed and it's like okay thanks for warning me but at the end of the day I'll make the decision whether who I'm going to have in my social circle or who I'm not going to have in the social circle well it's just the thing is is this 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 sort of social media is so reductive and it reduces us to this one aspect and you know, it, it's become over the last few years political. And so there's this idea that if you lean one way sort of politically, then that means your entire person is contaminated. I mean, I recently interviewed Phil Eklund and a lot of people said, well, I'm not going to listen to this because I don't agree with Phil's politics. And I thought that's absolutely potty. Firstly, because the interview is super interesting. No. I mean, I, I, I mean, Phil is a very interesting man. I don't think he's a psycho. He's a he's an intellectually consistent man, but he's a very interesting man and a great listener. Uh. And this idea that you don't agree with him politically—I mean, he's not a far-right lunatic or anything. He didn't come on my show and started talking about a white ethno state or anything. Hmm. And you know, I would exercise editorial stuff. I wouldn't have Richard Spencer on my show if he happened to be really into board no. games, you know. But it's but it's like we. We're not political beings. 90% of our lives, we're not political beings, right? We go to the shops and we meet our partners and we have a chat. And, I mean, at the moment, there's sort of political upheaval, so it's on our minds a lot. But but mostly, our politics with a capital P is is incidental. And we know lots of people who don't vote for the same parties as us. And we rub along with them and they, they tend to be called family, right? But there's this idea that you should be this sort of holier than I, only than now, pure avatar of your political expression when you go on social media. And honestly, I see it all the time that the difference between someone who is an utter knobhead on Twitter and, you know, you have to mute them because, God, you just this anti-scientific, hysterical bullshit. And then you meet them in public and they're actually sound. You know, it's just that you feel that you have to be this, yeah, this this acme of virtue on Twitter. It's it's Twitter can be wonderful. The social social media and the internet in general can be absolutely wonderful. But just if we act like we kind of act normally, it would be a lot less angry, I guess. Do you think? Do you think there's too much of a strive? for political stances in the board game space just now. Do you think that people it's become almost a case of I don't I don't want to know what games you like, I want to know what side of the table you're sitting on first of all. Kind of thing. No. Um I mean an an essence sort of reflects this. No. There's a group of dickheads on Twitter who like to express their crazy ass virtue for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. You know, and actually most of us just get on with it, right? I mean, I, 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 there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of crap going on, and, and most of it is sort of like harvesting, and it's, it's not that these people are particularly craven or whatever. It's just that, you know, getting the notification on your phone becomes addictive after a while, and once you realise that certain things will get you the notifications on your phone, then you 
become sort of like operantly conditioned to do it. I mean, this big sort of notion of cultural appropriation, I, I don't understand. And I, w- I would love if anyone listens to this and wants to explain the negatives of cultural appropriation to me. It seems to me that culture is cultural appropriation. Cultural exchange is what evolves culture, makes it new, makes it different. And also the the role of the creative person is to step into the mind of someone else, unless you're writing pure monologue from your own point of view. And even then you're creating a character. So this notion that I can't write a black person or I can't write a woman or I can't write someone who's gay because I'm none of those things is absolutely the death of art. And this idea that you can't make a sumo game or you can't make a Calavera game because you're not Mexican or you're not Japanese is nuts. You can do your work. You can do your research. You can empathize and have imaginative flights of fancy that, that can add to those things and change them. And, and Christ, I mean, no, don't make a sumo game. What are you saying? Sumo is exclusively Japanese. Well, that's bullshit for a start yeah. because when I was watching sumo in the nineties, the best sumo guy was from fucking Hawaii. <laughs> so you're saying he can't participate in sumo. It's absolutely absurd. And it's, it's, it's that sort of cultural protectionism, which is absolutely the antithesis of what creation is. I, I, Cultural appropriation seems to me, I I think there are a lot of things that people talk about. Intersectionalism makes perfect sense to me. I think it can be, I think it can be used to malign forces, Hmm. but cultural appropriation, I've tried many people. I've said, can you explain to me why this is bad? Why that if I wish to be into a particular culture and emulate that culture in some way, how is this a finite resource? I I don't see how it is. How is, I mean, I, I understand cultural denigration. But that's yeah. not what people who are producing games set in China are doing. And yeah, as far as I'm concerned, it's the, the biggest load of bollocks. And when you go, and of course, all of these people, of course, all of these people who moan about this on Twitter are then perfectly happy to sort of go around and hoover up these games for free because they're on bloody YouTube. Man. It, the, it, the pomposity and the hypocrisy is absolutely there for all to see. And, and I'm sure people listening to this know who I'm talking about. And I'm not unseemly enough to sort of dish names. But there are, there are people on Twitter who just seem to wish to harvest virtue. And on this particular score, I think they're absolutely wrong. And I see no sense in, in it whatsoever, you know. I just, I just think I, the more and more I get into the hobby... I keep saying this is that I think that the the kind of the normal kind of person on at the table isn't really that into the kind of the social media stuff. No, I, I think that when I go to the club, you know, if I'm you know if I talk about you know uh, about certain things, people aren't really in. They're not. It's not a case. They're not there. They're not on the same page, and they're not really fucking interested. You know, and it's well, not- this is why I don't make any bloody money, right? Because no one's listening to my bloody podcast. If 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 ninety percent of gamers listen to gaming podcasts, I might make a couple of more quid. But you know, I would say, I mean, Dan is the one who always talks about this, and I can't remember the figure that he puts forward. But I would be surprised if ten percent of gamers consume media past maybe looking up tutorials when they're learning a new game. Yeah. 
But I think they just try it. They just go out and see there. I, I think that it's kind of representative of the types of figures that everybody kind of gets, and the and the the, the number of figures that we get as an industry in terms of our views and our looks and our, our stuff like that, you know, and then we always come back to the same thing. It's like ridiculous YouTube videos getting millions of views, whereas, you know, shut up and sit down getting, you know, things in the tens of thousands and people congratulating them. And it's like, I was looking at my son today, was watching some guy that released a Minecraft video. It's got two and a half million views. It's just him walking about Minecraft going, look, I can smash these blocks and I get various different things. And I'm just looking at his figures and going, you know, we're, these are the type of things that we kind of stare, stare up to. I just, I don't know. It was ever, ever thus, though, wasn't it? It was ever thus. They were always, when, you know, I'm sure back in ancient Greece, there were people going, oh, God, I can't believe they're watching the plays about <laughs> gods again. This absolute useless rubbish. They should be watching, they should be watching the plays about housewives in ancient Attica, you know. And, and some people use entertainment for stimulation intellectually. Some people use entertainment for pure escape. Some people use entertainment as just, you know, noise in the background. So, the screaming inside their head isn't so loud. And if you're me, you use it for all three at different times, you know. And I, I don't, I have absolutely no issue with the Minecraft dickheads or the people pulling Furbies out of boxes and making, you know, 10 million a year. I just wish I was making a bit more money. <laughs> the other thing is as well, as I notice is that the, the guys that kind of like the ones that I see, they're kind of not, they're again. They're away from the fear of missing out. They kind of come in and they're saying, "Well, what are you doing?" Well, I'm playing my Legend of the Five Rings. How long have you been playing this? Oh, I've been doing this campaign for the last kind of six months, kind of thing. You know, the only people I know that seem to be kind of constantly chasing kind of new games and always playing something different are the media folk, <laughs> which is kind of strange. Yeah, but but the thing is, I think I think actually in terms of sort of chicken and egg I think this is very solvable I think the people who the people who are inclined to go into media are the people who have that acquisitional predisposition yeah. right that they want to get loads of new games in and they want to they want to talk about and also they you know they love the drama and they you know whenever I get together with board game people we talk about other board game people and we talk <laughs> about the drama and all of this sort of stuff and you know the constant I mean I don't know how many times I've had the is the bubble gonna burst conversation you know over the past sort of four years because that's kind of what I'm into and those are the people who listen to the board game podcast those are the people who produce the board game podcast and I think that's okay I think that's fine it's I mean what what I find really odd I'm gonna have a rant here because I haven't slept since that's essence, fine. so you know, wind me up and watch me go. What's what's really weird, and you notice this at Essen, is the people who should be getting the adoration aren't getting it. So, you know, a friend of mine put a picture on Twitter with, I think it was him with Tom Vassell, then it was him with someone, a couple of other people, then him with Yoris from Splotter. You know, one of the most original voices in game design over the last 20 yeah. years. Make, makes absolutely astonishing games. He's a true artist in any sort of rubric. And people are going, who's the bloke on the right? Yet they all know who friggin' Tom Vassell is. And quite honestly, you know, a guy of sort of average intelligence and average ability to talk. You know, he shouldn't be getting lauded all over the internet. It should be the 
the true artist, you know. And and it, I find when doing my show, getting designers to come on an interview, legends, legends of design is very easy. But these friggin' YouTube no-marks <laughs> are coming on. Uh, these friggin' YouTube no-marks are acting like fucking Hollywood stars. I can't come on for seven months because, you know... I'm in my basement making a friggin' YouTube video teaching you how to play something. I mean, Christ on our bike, you know. Have some perspective. <laughs> there, are, there are people of real talent in this industry, and it's not the no marks on friggin' YouTube, and they're the ones who are making millions. And then these poor people, apart from a few who are, you know, it, it's like having a book industry in which the book critic for The Guardian makes 10 million quid yeah. and, you know... Ernest Hemingway makes a fiver and no one knows who he is. It's absolutely it's absolutely nuts. But is that because of the number of games that there are as well? Is that there's so many games going through and there's so and there's you got to the point where we are at that stage where the big players have established themselves and they're gonna be there and there's gonna be some people that are gonna add to that media space. But it's very unlikely that it's gonna kinda change. I can't see, well, you know, just, unless there's massive kind of shift, a seismic shift within the industry that you get kind of like people kind of coming from nowhere. I reckon I'm going to, I could come back in three years time and I think there'll be a couple of new players, but I think the main guys are still going to be kind of like the same, basically. But it happened like last year, right, though, didn't it? Can you say, hand on heart, you had any idea who A... So let's go back 18 right, months. Okay. A, Wolfgang Varsch was. Right. Or B, Elizabeth Hargrave was. Yeah, but that's designers. That's not media people. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I, I guess the media thing... I, I mean, the issue and... I mean, again, I, I've been thinking a lot about my own show and sort of my frustrations with sort of being sort of widely ignored. But I think, again, it was ever thus... You know, without wanting to sound like a dickhead, and I, I, I am, and I don't have a choice. I'm a bit more Radio Four than Radio Two, right? And no one listens to Radio Four, and everyone <laughs> listens to Radio Two. So if I want, if I want attention, I should be a bit more Radio Two. But you know, I'm a bloody-minded dickhead, and I, I don't particularly, I'm not particularly yeah, but interested. But then, in Radio Two for who? This is the question: Are you reaching the people who would read, who would actually listen? To the radio, two people because I don't think they're aware that they do. They're they're sitting in the other room and not aware that the radio exists at the moment. Do you know what I mean? As I think, there's a lot of people who kind of they're still discovering kind of board game media. And when you talk about kind of like board game media, they roll off about two off their and that's their list and that's it and that's who they check and they don't check anybody else. But that's not because they're bloody minded or they're kind of stuck in their ways. It's because they're quite simply they've not heard of them. Because they look at these other people and they're like going, well, you've only got this number of subscribers. Why should I? What's the point in looking at it compared to kind of other other people? Well, I think there's, I, I think as I mean, a... I mean, it's the same, it's the same with everyone though. I mean, it's it's the same with being sort of, you know, I, I'm treated, you know, there are a couple of board game media people who have quite frankly treated me friggin' appallingly, made, um, made promises and then not delivered hmm. on them. And... You know, and it's because, I don't know, you need a critical mass and that's really difficult to get and most people don't get it right. And that's fine. And, 
you know, I don't know. It's 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 weird that I don't know. I don't know quite what to say without without sounding like an utter knobhead. But I think no. no I think I, you can I, get I to a point I, right where you either sit there and settle and you say I'm happy with these numbers and I know that they're slowly going to increase, or I think there's a point. And we're probably at the same stage where we've reached that point where we're going, right, either something magical is going to happen and we are going to, you know, something is going to all of a sudden click and then we will be not only flavour of the day, but we move into flavour of the week and then we become flavour of the year and then we become established. And I think a lot of people get to that point and they say, oh, well, if you quit after kind of six months and that's, you know, well, it's that fine. But I reckon there's some people that will get to this three year kind of mark where we're kind of both at that same point where we kind of go, well, here we are with this. Do we continue as we are because we're at the stage where, yeah, things are, you know, things are good. You know, I can can look at it and say, yeah, well, you know, in, in terms of, who I'm able to speak to, who I'm able to contact, the conversations that I'm having, the you know, the people that I can email and say hello to, and in terms of that, the guests that I'm getting on, this is kind of an interesting thing. From another point of view, I could look at it and say, am I happy with where I am, and and would I be happy another three years down the line if nothing changed and I was at the same situation? And I think that's where you get to that kind of well, assessment point, and you decide if you're going to go, you know. Yeah, I mean, it's the thing, isn't it? I mean, from one perspective, it depends kind of what you want and what your aspirations are. So if I look at my show, from from one perspective, from a hobbyist gamer perspective, mm-hmm. I mean, I couldn't have done more. I've spoken to true legends of the industry. Um, people are very nice and complimentary. I have, you know, a group of people who really enjoy what I do, and they're, they're incredibly complimentary about it. But from a professional perspective, from the notion of maybe this being a a professional thing, I can't be anything other than disappointed with the amount of money I make, the amount of listeners I have. Hmm. And that's not to that's not to be down on myself or to be despondent. It's just from a from a practical am I able to fund a sizable portion of my life with the work I do? And do I think I'm getting a fair return on my investment of time and skill? And absolutely not. I mean, absolutely not. But the point is, you you have to decide why it's inevitable, and I don't know when, why it's inevitable that my show will stop at some point, is that it was only ever a professional aspiration. It was never a hobby. Yeah. This was something that I wanted to do to make Money, mm. and I wanted to you and, and and oh, people say oh, that's cynical, but you know, I utilize the skills that I have to do that. And I think I'm pretty good at what I do, but unless something changes, inevitably the enthusiasm will wane, and what keeps you going is the money, you know. Yeah, I mean, I think it's um, yeah, it it, it it happens, and I think that. And it, it it all it can all you got to get the danger of it all becoming a chore. As an I, and also at some point you've got to sort of say to yourself, well, actually maybe people don't give a fuck, and that that's a really that's a really bitter pill Whoa. to swallow. But it's, it's that but might inevitably be the thing. And you know, the last six months, a lot of a lot of chat. Uh, I've had a lot of talk with friends about this, but also a lot of sort of thinking on my own and you know you just sort of think to yourself I have this conception of who I am but maybe actually 
I'm a bit shit. And that's the reason that I'm in the position that I'm in, which is also a perfectly plausible thing. Yeah, but the nature of media coverage at the moment, the nature of any creation involved around the board game media, it's very, very low funded. It's very, very low funded. And you only just have to look at kind of like um, Facebook posts for kind of like review copies and things like that. When you see like a board game media and review post and it's like people are saying, oh, today we're going to be handing out, you know, we're going to be giving out review copies of, you know, um, the game Table, Red Table Edition kind of thing. And there's like 40 million people that are going, they're all chiming in from various different places and for a designer developer or a publishing company to hand out kind of copies, review copies to these people to know that they then can just sit back after they've spent X amount on postage and these people will be going out and doing it. And there's obviously, there's also a percentage of those people who are doing it to get free copies of games are trying their best but have already reached their limit and kind of went, ah, fuck it, do you know what I mean? I can't be bothered, I'll do the video. What my point was earlier is that even getting free review copies and having to go through them can become a chore. It can become work. It happened to me when I was doing video games. It was like you were getting right. these kind of AAA games and, and the, the video game industry is fucking awful because they're the, the PR people are the worst group of fucking self-serving and, you know, kind of, kind of self-powered and don't they fucking know it horrific people I've ever dealt with because <laughs> they're kind of like oh yeah we're going to give you a code you need to hand a review oh by the way don't fucking talk about it before this date otherwise we'll have you we'll have you shot in the street oh and also yeah. by the way here's a hundred hour game and we're going to give you the code like fucking three days before the kind of the release date oh, and we know that you're going to have to play through it in that three days because if you don't put your review out in that time it's going to affect your numbers and your advertising revenue here's the code and I'm not going to censor that because that is the way it was and I think and I, and I know that people that kind of bust their ass and they put out quality content on the burgers but they must reach the point where they're looking at the review pile and saying I got into this because I loved games and now I'm doing this to get through games to play games to write up the the kind of the copy and I've seen it happen very subtly and very succinctly um quite recently with um with um, the Stonemire games, I mean, it happened with Wingspan that Jamie Stegmeier, God bless his cotton socks, he is a master marketeer in the fact that he managed to get people all ranting and raving about Wingspan at exactly the same time. There was content going out left, right and centre. And he's done the same thing with Tapestry as well. So it's all that people were talking about and it was trending number one in Board Game Geek because the playthrough video from Rodney Smith came out. You know, there was various videos from different people that were all coming out. People were writing written reviews. The entire marketplace was saturated with content. And it's that dangerous point where you know you get this new game coming in and everybody is in a rush to cover it and not get back to the basics why they got into the hobby in the first place. And they sat there with a mobile phone camera recording something was because I want to tell people about something I really, really like. And I think that's yeah, you know, I mean, that's the danger of where we are. 
I mean, I released a bit on reviewing and sort of why you review yes. and why I review yes. a few weeks ago. I liked it. I liked it and a lot. It, it's just sort of people... It was this big argument, you know, why you shouldn't have to review games you don't like. And I think it's a twofold argument, why, why I, I felt that was spurious. It's firstly... There is the sort of consumer protection aspect of being a reviewer. If you claim to love the community, well, you should want to warn people to save their money from dog shit. I believe reviews are not about increasing consumption. I believe reviews are about moderation of consumption. I think, you know, you stand apart from marketing. It's, you, you, you know, you want to guide people away from buying everything. So there's that. And, and, and secondly, you know, although I talk about wanting to get paid, and of course I do, but at the same time, if you don't like producing the content, especially if it's writing, I mean, for me, if I play a game I hate, you know, I'll play it three times and I'll make sure that I know I hate it. But writing, trying to work out why I like something and trying to work out why I dislike something is the same exercise constructing the sentences is the same exercise looking back on a piece that you've written and thinking not only have I solidified my thoughts there but I've done it with some sort of elan and aplomb that's my prize not the game it's this notion that oh I should get a free copy of a game and then I should love it and I'm only in it to get these free games that I'm going to love. No, you should want to. You should want to craft something. You should want to produce something yourself. Even though a review is a crude facsimile. Even though you know reviewing is bottom feeding and riding on the talents of people who are far more deserving than you. At least you can attempt to do something of value and of craft that people will enjoy and also will ameliorate their desire to spend all of their money on these things. I do not understand that idea. If the game is bad, write about it. If the game isn't isn't bad, write about it. The writing's the thing, not the bloody game, right? You get over getting the kind of the copies through pretty quickly anyway. In all honesty, right. in all honesty, I mean unless you are unless you cross over to the other line and then you're starting to kind of like say this paid for when you're doing adverts for people for their Kickstarters right. and they're handing you money in order to talk, you know, to film something about it and then kind of kind of not give an opinion, but at the same time really give an opinion kind of thing at the same well, time are, as well kind there of are, thing. There are those people that do, that blatantly give opinions on paid videos, which I think is absolutely unconscionable. It was interesting, I was talking to Edward Euler at the weekend and, you know, he said to me that if he does something that's paid the opinion is removed from the thing. And I think that's the least you can do, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, yeah, as I say, I don't, I still don't get it. There was a post on Facebook today, somebody saying, well, how much do people charge for previews? And I was like, well, if somebody's charging a preview, you should call an advert. And I've said this again and again and again, but it seems yeah, to be endemic sure. in this industry. And if that's the way that people want to do it, then that's fine. You know, I don't have an issue with it as long as, they claimed that it's only so long you can go about claiming about it. And to be honest, I'm sick of fucking talking about it because I see even kind of like developers, designers getting involved in this conversation. I was like, what the fuck is that all about? 
Well, I mean, I mean, talk about a conflict of interest. Right? I just don't get it. I don't. I don't kind of designers. Designers <clears throat> saying that you shouldn't review games you don't like. I mean, it's designers should keep their mouth shut on criticism. I mean, no one, no artist ever keeps their mouth shut on criticism. That doesn't mean they should open it. Though. In fact, uh, art artists are taught, are taught wholeheartedly. I have friends that are at study at college. Uh, um, they do kind of art as their kind of their, their main subject, and one of the main things they they do is they'll put up a piece, and it is everybody else's job in the room to rip the shit out of that piece of art and tell right. people what's kind of wrong. So the acceptance of criticism is part of their kind of their training, but in terms of crafting the words, it's like writing a review to even talk and mention the. The, the te- you know the not so great parts of a game is is one of the most fantastic things you can do as well as writing a really good review i did it i have an entire portfolio of games of video games that i reviewed where i gave them kind of like twos and threes and fours out of tens and i i hated every minute of writing the game but i loved every minute of writing the review because there was nothing nicer than kind of getting that it's not a visceral kind of anger but you're kind of wrapping words around something and it's saying i'm telling you in unknown certain terms that you should really really avoid spending any money on this video game and it's almost like right. well surely that's punishing the creator it's like well we're kind of getting into the point in kind of games where if all you're talking about is the wonderful brilliant games all the time and I mean I'm starting to make jokes about this it's like there is no bad board games why is there no bad board games because nobody ever fucking tells us anything about bad board games but there, it's like right. you know things like say um, when I wrote about I've written there's games on the blog I've written about where I've just went this art is lazy as fuck it's just like really really kind of bad you know I wrote about Guardian's Call recently and while I kind of instantly liked you kind of liked the game once i played it it was so overproduced there was so much extra stuff in that box that it could have just been simply down to like a couple of decks of cards and that would have sufficed the game and it was a criticism of the game and it was kind of like and you're like saying well do i go ahead and word it like that because everybody else a lot of folk had gone in and ranted and raved and said it was amazing and it's like am i the person that's kind of like shitting on the pot here and it's like well yes I should because I because I want people looking at that review and saying actually maybe that's not for me if it is not as much as what the money is asking for which is really really important yeah and I mean as far as I'm concerned if you only want to talk about games you like if you only want to be universally positive that's fine but then just go on the Facebook groups and do that don't put yourself forward as a critic of the art form because you're not being critical of the art form you're, you're, you're doing marketing even if you're not being paid for it and you know evangelists are very, very dangerous people, whether they be religious evangelists or whether they be evangelists for anything. Nothing is uniformly good. And especially in the world of art, some things are bloody crap. And if you if you aspire to any sort of critical expertise, part of that is saying what is bad as well as good. And if you if 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 you if Producing a review is such a bloody chore. Then don't produce reviews. It makes no sense to me. Yeah, it's the rough with the smooth. You've got you only become better at something then by by experiencing the whole part of it. You know, it's like saying it's like experiencing the Star Wars saga, and kind of if it was you know. 
if there were certain people that were reviewing the Star Wars saga, they would say every single fucking Star Wars film was brilliant. And that's not serving anybody at all, in my point, where everybody knows that you know, Rogue One is the best Star Wars film that there is, and it's not even a real Star Wars film kind of thing. But you know what I mean? It's like, it's kind of like you start to kind of make these jokes, and is it going to make, I just want people to think. Well, well, I mean, a big issue, a big issue is is, pe- is getting free games is cool. Yes, I mean, of course it is, and especially especially when people offer them to you. That's, yes, and you don't have to ask yourself. I mean, that's super cool, and you know, we're all doing it because we're into games, and that's fine. But and and people say, oh well, reviewers should never get free copies. I don't buy that either. No. But if you shouldn't get free copies. If your main worry is, if I shit on this game I hate, the faucet is going to dry up. Well, if that's the case, then buy your own games to review. If you can't be, objective isn't the right word, but if you can't be honest because you fear you won't get free games anymore. So I, I got in, I got on the publisher's list, like a big publisher on their reviewers list recently. Mm. And it's been a review... a publisher I'd wanted to get on their list for ages because they do lots of good games. And the first game I received from them, I was like, oh, Christ. <laughs> I'm going to have to write a really shitty review now of the first game I got from these people. And, you know, it's kiboshed the whole thing, which means, you know, they haven't written back to me since, apart from, you know, I got someone querying my my view and I stood by what I said about certain practical things. And then it's, 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 you know, it's put a kibosh on getting games from that publisher again. Thankfully, I don't give a monkeys about the review copies drying up, you know, especially as I have friends who buy lots of games and I buy games too. So, I mean, in that sense, it'll never dry up. But if, you know, and they always say, Tom Vassell, I hear him say a lot, you know, if you want to get into reviewing, you should do it because you love it, not because you want to get free games. What utter hogwash. Getting free games is a piece of piss. And if you simply want to get free games, you can you can start a blog tomorrow and you'll get free games. I just happen to consider if I do receive free games, I have a base obligation, and that is to be honest about the games I've received, whether I think they're worthy or not, right? Whatever, Whatever criteria that worthiness comes into but that's my obligation my obligation is not to feather my nest so i continue to get a steady stream of free games from that publisher because that's despicable behavior right i just as i say we're it we'll see what happens i think we'll get to a point where where it will shut down it'll or it'll minimize or there'll be a special thing, or the worst thing that will happen is that we'll start to get PR companies kind of coming in, and then it'll become about figures and views and people, you know, actually needing to prove. Oh, I've, I've days, already you know. been, I've I've already been told no by a number of publishers really? who just say you don't get enough, you don't get enough traffic, so we're not going to send you games, which 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 makes sense, you know, for them it's marketing budget, it's got to be worth it for them, yeah, and. I, I happen to think I do pretty good reviews, pretty insightful reviews, and also reviews with craft. I think the writing's pretty good. Um, but if you're from Poland and English is a second language and you 
are not particularly interested in flights of fancy, what you're interested in is seeing lots of social media engagement and selling lots of games. Well, then, why should you give a monkeys? Yeah, that I'm that I'm verbose. You know, is, do you think there is there anything else that we want to talk about to completely stop us from having? <laughs> <laughs> I'm very tired. It's just that I haven't slept for a week. Oh, so. I, I have no excuse at all. I mean, I've slept well. I mean, I've composed my thoughts kind of really, really well. I don't know. It's not. I mean, it's not. I kind of, it's like, I can't, I feel like I'm sitting and complaining about kind of like everybody getting a slice of cake while I'm holding out my plate at the same time. And somebody's just about to put a big slice of cake on my plate kind of thing. Because I'm the biggest, Absolutely. I'm the world's Absolutely. biggest hypocrite. Because it's like, you know, <laughs> it's like, there's review, you know, it's, it is, it is kind of like this horrible thing because you can't, you kind of go, oh, I'm going to have standards and stuff like that. And then when somebody kind of messages you and says, well, do you know, do you want to have a look at this game? And then it's amazing the kind of the, the psychological leaps and twists that your mind can take to make something acceptable to you. It's absolutely fantastic. Yeah. But it is because I, I guess because I came from the kind of the video game kind of critical critiquing kind of background that I'm thinking, well, I should be okay at kind of like looking, getting stuff and kind of writing stuff. And I just hope that I'm being honest in my opinions of things, that I'm not just writing puff pieces for people, that people are reading it and it's kind of giving them thought and that they're giving them consideration and that they're, you know, I'm kind of not educating them, but giving them enough information to make them decide whether or not something's for them. And I think that's the only thing that you can do, you know. For sure, for sure. But if you want to talk about something different, if you want to make it upbeat to finish this off, one thing I will say, the great thing, and we've sort of veered off it, but we're coming back. The great thing about Essen is it really does refuel you, in a sense. It, it does make you realise that there is a community there, and it's a vibrant community and a fun community, and people are great. And, you know, I had some fans who came over from Malaysia to, to go to Essen, not to meet me, but they wanted to meet me, and they were wonderful. And, you know... I've met so many interesting people over this weekend. And gaming is inherently about being social. In in many ways, kind of the games are, are not the most important focus of the hobby. It's the sitting around a table with real people. And something like Essen is really invigorating in that sense because there are loads of people who really care about the same thing that you do. And they're not all total weirdos. I mean, unless you are, and so your viewpoint is skewed. But, you know, it's just a lot of fun. And it's people of all stripes. And I think if you ever go through that sort of phase of being sort of fatigued by the hobby you're involved in, and everybody does, something like Essen is incredibly rejuvenating. And, and, and partly because it's so big. And it's so overwhelming and there are so many different people there that you do come away. And when I eventually get some sleep, I'm going to wake up and I'm going to think, wow, that was really worth it. That was an absolutely yeah. fantastic way to spend my time. Right, And I think the other thing to do is 
not to play a game because you are reviewing it or previewing it or thinking about a video on it is to throw that pile to the side and just play one of the games that you know what the rules are that you can get right. in and play kind of straight away. I see so many, you know, it's like the number of times I think I'm like, I'm like, I am the shittest person to go to a board game group and God help anybody who sits next to me at a board game group because they are going to then have to spend the next three and a half hours learning this new game that I've just got. Oh, and help me punch that and things like that. And why is that? Because we're just, I'm just looking at it because it just came through, it came through Kickstarter that I spoke to. Oh, did I tell you that I spoke to the developer of this Kickstarter kind mm. of thing? And I find myself doing that and I'm thinking, fuck, I just want to go back and just sit around a table with people. It's like when I'm, that was the wonderful thing about Aircon when I went and, you know, Tabletop Scotland was always like, do you want to sit down and have a game? Yes. What is it you want to play? I don't fucking care. Just let's have a game because yeah. I don't want yeah. to be playing a game that I have any other ties to. Just let's play a game and let's just kind of get back to basics. And that is the beautiful side of things. And that's what kind of makes me want to socially engage with the community instead of just the content side because the loan you know the loneliness of creating content you're shouting out there to the void and you don't know if anybody's shouting back because nobody's you, but nobody's but for all the moaning that we've done right yeah at the same time we would never have got together if it hadn't been that we're both mutually creating content exactly I wouldn't know Dan, I wouldn't know Mike, I wouldn't know Matthew Jude, I wouldn't know Paul Grogan, I wouldn't know Uli Blenemann, I wouldn't know Edward Euler, I wouldn't know Karen from Malaysia, I wouldn't know Ella, I wouldn't know all of these people, you know. Exactly. I wouldn't know any of them if, if it wasn't for the fact that the internet allows me to disperse my thoughts. So while it can be frustrating and while, you know, you can sometimes become very solipsistic about your success or otherwise, at the same time, the very act of doing this facilitates meeting new people. So it it certainly is worthy, you know, it's just, it can be exhausting. Yeah. It's kind of strange to open up your game cupboard and go, I've spoken to everybody in this, this shelf here and everybody on that shelf kind of thing. It's kind of weird. It's also because you would never do that with any other, I would never do that in any other media. I wouldn't be able to do it with video right. games. I wouldn't be able to open no. up my cupboard and say, oh, look, there's, you know, here's Dark Souls 2 or here's, you know, here's the latest Nintendo game or here's, I'm never going to ever, ever going to speak to Shigeru Miyamoto, you know, but I right. can open my, I can open my door and say, okay, there's Dinosaur Island, there's John Gilmore or he was on the show this kind of last couple of weeks or whatever. I've got that kind of thing and, and that to me kind of being able to have a direct conversation with somebody who has given you joy when their product, their idea, their dream has been on the table is a very, very magical thing. And that is why I'm allowed to rant but also love the thing at the same time. And that's my excuse. Well, you, you, only, you, only become, you only become hurt because you give a fuck, right? Exactly. Exactly. That's the point. Exactly. Exactly. Um, if people want to hear from you, if they've listened along tonight, <laughs> where can they find you on the internet webs, Mister Maddox? All right, so you you you'll find me less fatigued <laughs> and uh, marginally less ranty on uh, fivegamesfordoomsday.com, 
my latest episode, I had a sort of Halloween Cthulhu-themed month where I interviewed Kenneth Height, who is a prolific RPG writer. And then I interviewed the absolute, I think an absolute titan of the world of gaming in general, the writer of Call of Cthulhu, the designer of the of Doom, you know, a video game yeah. that's completely formed a genre that is legendary and that's Sandy Peterson and so he was my guest on Monday and it's very interesting with him we sort of talk about you know he's he's a Mormon and so you know we talk about is there a conflict between his faith and something like doom for instance and he you know he he owns the libs which is which is interesting. And yeah, I write reviews and there'll be lots of reviews of new games coming up because there's lots of games from Essen. And so yeah, if you want to do that, five games for doomsday.com. And and go into Patreon and give him money. And and tell you Oh God, give me money. Just do that thing. Give him money. You know, listen to this voice and tell me if you want this to be on various videos and presentations that you do and give this man some money for goodness sake. We don't want him disappearing into the ether. You probably want me to fuck off into the ether, but you know, that's just the way it is. If you want to keep an eye on what we're up to, just go to We Are Not Wizards on the Google. You can find us on the Googles if you search for We Are Not Wizards and you'll find us on the various worn out faces and places bright and early at the daily races, you know. And, you know, look at our Instagram because we've got an Instagram. Go on Apple Podcasts and give us a rating or a review. Go Go search for five games for Doomsday subscribe download a whole load of episodes come back give it five stars and say it's an amazing interview show and then subscribe to us and you know potentially do the same you know but remember oh they will they'll absolutely will hope so um if they've not gone to this and goes oh my goodness (laughs) somebody let the blue touch paper and just step back on this one um (laughs) 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 <laughs> remember we we may be many things but we're certainly not bright breezy shiny and positive <laughs> we potentially might we potentially might be wizards though because it is i don't know this could be either the horror special or the goodbye special we have no idea this is, this is a good this is this is a halloween show this is def- make, make it the halloween this is show. definitely the halloween show um but there's only two more things to do the first thing is to say Goodbye to the absolutely wonderful, fantastic, amazing, loquacious, deliciously beautiful Ben Maddox from Five Games for Doomsday. Thank you very, very much, sir, for coming on. Well, thank you, Richard J. Simpson. (laughs) Uh, No, J's my drug's name. And and it's goodbye from me. Remember, stay safe, roll sixes, make something awful. Until the next time, bye. Wizard is never linked.
Nor is he early. He arrives precisely when he means to. 